This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Okay, I'm here with Stella Assange, the wife of Julian Assange, and I guess the most, uh, well, the best part to start with would be that your husband is actually not too far from here right now. Yeah, he's about a 15-minute drive from where we are. Um, he's near the Thames, but it feels like it's miles away from London when you're there. Yeah, and he is, I mean, he's locked up. That's that's just the nature of reality. Uh, you mentioned to my producer, I was already, you get to see him twice a week. Um, and I guess just talk a little bit about his physical and sort of emotional state. Then we'll, we'll get into, obviously, the bigger stuff, but... But, well, not that much is bigger than that, I suppose. Well, he's been in this high-security prison in um, southeast London since the 11th of April 2019. Um, he is locked up in a cell over 20 hours a day. He gets to go to the yard uh, for up to an hour a day. It's um, on his wing, about 30% of people there are accused or convicted of murder. Uh, and, you know, Julian's not a, he's, he shouldn't be in prison in the first place, right? He's a journalist. He's there because of what he published. Uh, but he's there because the United States is trying to extradite him. I get to see him once or twice a week. On weekends, I go with our children. We have a four and a half year old and a six year old. And all they know is their father inside this prison space. He, they've never been in a different room outside of this uh, prison with their father. Uh, but that, you know, the, the contact that we have, it keeps us both um, connected. It's incredibly important. We can speak uh, every day. We speak several times during the day. He's able to call me. I can't call him. Uh, and the conversations only last about 10 minutes at a time. And I assume they're listening to the conversation. Yeah, everything's, yeah. you know, there is there is absolutely no privacy. When we go to see each other, it's in this big hall. There are about 40 other prisoners who are meeting their family and their friends. We sit on one side of a table about the size, this size. Um, he sits on the other. I can hug him and I can hold his hand across the table. The kids can sit on his lap and he can read stories to them. But apart from that, he has to remain seated. And um, yeah, it's a very, obviously very regimented encounter yeah I, I sort of feel like we should do a whole interview just just on the human part of it because that's the part that kind of get lost here but i but i want to use our time as, as effectively as possible so w what is the status of his case at the moment like is this now just on up period here in the uk or or where are you guys at uh well it's completely scandalous he's been in a high security prison for four and a half years he's not convicted of anything He's there because the U.S. wants to extradite him, and there's kind of a ping-pong uh, attitude between the U.K. and the U.S. The U.S. says, oh, it's the U.K. that's putting him in prison. The U.K. says, we're just putting him in prison on behalf of the U.S. And uh, meanwhile, you have someone who's not convicted of anything uh, languishing in a high-security prison for four and a half years and counting. 
the United States has put in an extra. What do the UK authorities actually say he's in prison for then? I, I understand they're saying it's it's because of the pressure of the United States, but then they have to have, say he's there for something. Yeah, they say he's a flight risk. Um, so because he previously sought asylum and obtained it um, in the Ecuadorian embassy back in 2012, because he said the US uh, was in the background maybe going to try to extradite him at the time, there was an extradition request from Sweden. Sweden refused to give a guarantee that they wouldn't send him on to the United States. So he sought asylum and uh, and obtained it. And then in 2019, Ecuador uh, had changed its relationship with the United States and yeah. basically sold him out and he got arrested and he's been in prison since then. What's the resolution of that? he or you would want at the moment? Like if, if the phone rang today and you got whatever you would consider the best news, what is that? Well, this case should never have been brought uh, beyond the, uh, you know, uh, cruelty towards Julian. It is a dangerous case. It sets a, a terrible precedent. It is an attack on the First Amendment in the United States. Um, it's the administration was actually the Trump administration that, that brought the indictment and um, it is an attack on the on the First Amendment it's the first time that the Espionage Act is used against a publisher for publishing he's literally accused um, of receiving possessing and communicating information to the public he's not actually accused of espionage per se because the Espionage Act it's this act from years ago it's really broadly worded and uh, it's basically being repurposed to criminalize journalism and the way they that it's been done is to use Julian um, to s set the precedent and uh, because he's a uh, he's a person who you know the mainstream media has attacked for many years and so on uh, he was an easy target but by doing that uh, the principles of free speech that are so central to, to U.S. society and politics has been uh, fatally undermined. So this this is just a terrible prosecution uh, to bring because it basically um, criminalizes journalism forever unless it's dropped. So the best outcome would be to drop it to say, actually, uh, we went too far. This should have never been drop, uh, brought. Uh, but frankly, I mean, Julian has been in prison for four and a half years and the principle is important but I as his wife I just want him to come home yeah. and to be able to be with our kids and his life is the most important thing his freedom is the most important thing for us as a family but there are of course bigger implications um, for the rest of society for journalism for free speech of course did you have a sense that possibly even though some of this did happen under the Trump administration um, that possibly he was going to get pardoned at the end. There was a really big push, and Trump was the sort of, I'm going to take out the deep state guy. Um, and obviously just nothing happened there. Was there anything behind the scenes? or There was a, a big push. I know there were people within Trump's administration who were trying hard. I think it was a terrible sign of weakness by Trump um, that he didn't pardon Julian and that he is now basically suffering the consequences of the failure to be strong in that moment. Of course, the Espionage Act is being used against Trump now, and this expansion of the use of the Espionage Act 
uh, it actually started under Obama. He started using it against whistleblowers a lot more often right. than Trump, the Trump administration. I should say it was basically Mike Pompeo in the background who was pushing for it. Um, they then went from whistleblowers to the publisher, to the receiver information, the journalist. And then now it's being used in a, in a political, in a, like, quite a nakedly uh, political manner because this Espionage Act is so broadly worded. And uh, it also changes the culture around the use of this piece of legislation. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Are you sympathetic to people that would say that states have some right to have state secrets at, at some level? Of course. I mean, I, I understand that, uh, you know, the state has different... Um, it is a is a multi-organ um, thing, uh, and there are different functions, and the state uh, has to has an interest and has to try to keep its secrets. Journalists have to publish information if it's in the public in- interest. They don't have the same responsibility as the state when it comes to um, uh, secrets. What what matters there is whether that secret should be in the public. Uh, domain because it has some some significance because it has a political or legal or um, whatever if it's you know um, with the publications that WikiLeaks is in- accused of uh, publishing this concerned the Iraq and the Afghan wars um, uh, Guantanamo Bay etc you know secrets uh, secret information uh, often contains information that uh when when information has been covered up when wrongdoing has occurred uh then it's kept from the public and that's not to say that all secret information should be in the public domain um but it is to say that uh it's just a reality that authorities hide information by labeling it secret are you shocked that more journalists are usually on my show i have to go like this when i say journalists with air quotes that more journalists haven't taken up the cause of Julian. I mean, obviously, there's there's some level that have, but I mean, certainly from a mainstream perspective, it's pretty much a non-story. That that's just kind of how it is. Well, at an editorial level, you have New York Times, Washington Post, to say this case is terrible because they have their legal departments. They've analyzed the case. They understand it's an attack on their ability to publish things. And you know, the fact that that, for example, the New York Times has has put out an editorial saying it should be dropped indicates to me that they have stories that are just basically left in the without being published because the advice they get is look at the Assange case you can't publish this either they're going to try to put you in jail or we're just going to be bogged down in um, legal cases for for years and years and a lot of money and so on so we're just not going to publish it so basically there has been a terrible chill in the newsrooms has that translated to journalists Um, not so much I mean you have some uh, you know, there have been segments with some mainstream uh, journalists, uh, but it's not talked about as much as it should be. And uh, that's, I think, down to 
ignorance on the one hand, uh, as, as basically there was a uh, failure to understand what WikiLeaks and Julian was were about, um, and that uh, the way the U.S. decided to go after Julian um, was as a publisher. They mm -hmm. they. I think hoped that if they went after Julian, they'd find some other way of doing it. But the truth is that all he did was basically do what the New York Times does all the time, which is publish information. Um, some of it is classified. Sometimes that classified information is given to them by the administration. Sometimes it's not. Right. Um, and so right. their hands certainly are not clean in how they deal with information and when it's political and when it isn't and what they decide to release and everything else. Exactly. So so. Um, but then there's a lot of journalists who don't actually work in, um, who are more of a kind of commentary, sure. in the commentary world, and maybe don't understand the, the bigger implications. Uh, but it should be, you know, I think it should be clear as uh, to all journalists that um, it impoverishes the public space, and the public space needs, like liberty needs, a robust public space to thrive. You need people who are, you know, of different opinions, um, able to speak freely uh, and to disagree. And and uh, by putting Julian in prison, like you, you kind of um, impoverish that ecosystem dramatically. And if you're if journalists are not able to publish the most controversial things, then you know we're we're all. I mean, we're basically all in a kind of managed information environment at the moment, and social media has been incredibly complicit in this. And uh, you know, I think the 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 they're after the public domain now. It started with Julian, and off obviously national security, um, highly controversial uh, publications about war, right? Um, but now it's just um, the opinions of anyone that is being censored and this is all part of a spectrum and i think we're you know the failure to defend julian in the beginning has has led to where we are now yeah do you think if the if the timing had been a little bit different had we known as much say through the twitter files that elon released years before that more people could have seen the connections between all of these things because there's obviously a through line between the way that big tech could say suppress the hunter biden laptop the things that julian was exposing before years of COVID, like there's clearly something that connects all of these things and that maybe if the timing had been a little bit tighter that we might have fought some of this a little bit differently? Yeah, I think 2016 was a major moment of uh, change, right? Uh, in both because of the election of Trump and the kind of perceived uh, shock to the system this was for the establishment and the same here in, in the UK with Brexit. And so uh, there was this kind of recasting of public opinion as dangerous, as something that had to be managed. Information has is it has to be managed, and um, and and the whole RussiaGate hysteria. And of course, WikiLeaks was um, accused by the Clinton administration of having been responsible for Trump's election. Mm -hmm. This kind of thing. Um, the DNC even tried to uh, sue WikiLeaks and Julian personally in relation to the DNC publications, but. Uh, New York, uh, the Southern District Court of New, New York, uh, throughout the case, and this was not talked about uh, because they said the publications of the DNC were of the highest public importance, um, you know, finding out about what's happening behind the scenes during an election period is um, 
the most important yeah. thing that the American public can, can read, and this is protected by the First Amendment. You never heard about this uh, because it just didn't fit the narrative. And I think this is a big problem. There has not been an effective counter-narrative. There has been a big um, disinformation, misinformation narrative that was attached to this aftermath of 2016. It's allowed to flourish. States have just loved to throw money at this um, industry of of managing information, managing public opinion. Uh, and uh, that's how we've, we find ourselves where we find ourselves. And of course, COVID basically solidified all of this. And But at the same time, I think the public is a lot more aware of how their rights are being undermined, uh, how how their free speech is basically uh, is is uh, there is no free speech on the internet. You have to find spaces of free speech, uh, and it's not transparent how you're being censored and all these things. So I think, uh, in one way, there is hope because uh, the the awareness of of the attack on our rights and our liberties is a lot more widespread. And I think it's also a, a one point of hopefully of encounter between people who self-identify as left or right that actually there are some fundamentals that we need to fight for. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're all going to find ourselves on the receiving end if censorship prospers. So uh, I, I think we're in a, a worse place, but also a better place in terms of um, identifying the problem. How could people help to get us to that better place? Well, in the United States, we have to get join free. People should contact their representatives. Uh, McGovern and Massey have done a joint letter to Joe Biden asking him to drop the case. Um, uh, Congress can, representatives from con- Congress uh, can join the letter and uh, people can call their representatives to ask them to join the letter, please, or any other initiative to, to help free Julian. Uh, there's a Assange Defense is an organization in the US that is fighting for Julian's freedom. And just talk about Julian's case. Uh, follow me on, on Twitter, I'm Stella underscore Assange, and just keep fighting because Julian really isn't, he's a free speech. Um, he's dedicated his life to free speech and to informing the public and he would do make a very valuable contribution uh, because he believes in the higher good of people knowing the truth. It's not about where you stand. It's about we need to value the truth and be able to speak it. I know that you would prefer that he was the one doing this interview, but you're an excellent communicator of his ideas. So I thank you for your time. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.